Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for your gifts to us, including the gift of your word. May you use it to teach us and instruct us and to help us see you more clearly. That you would use it to impact our lives. Thank you again for this time together. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. This time I invite kids four years old through first grade. You're welcome to head off to Children's Church at this time. Now, I don't know about some of you, but I, I've reached a point in my life where I found myself consistently more and more amazed with technology. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I mean, it's incredible to think about the numerous ways that technology has both advanced and simplified our lives throughout the years, while at the same time complicating things in ways that we would have never have imagined. And you can like, oh yeah, when things don't work like they should, which happens all the time, too often. I think this is what led John Tudor to say the following, technology makes it possible for people to gain control over everything except over technology. Amen. But the reality is that the advancement and the development of technology, it's increased dramatically throughout the years. Just think about this. In the last 20 years, okay, the last 20 years have included innovations like smartphones, social media, YouTube, Bluetooth, Google Maps, 3D printing, and self-driving cars, just to name a few things. And these advancements, they're happening so quickly and they change so fast and frequently that that at times it can be difficult to keep up. And so some of you have probably done this where if you've been in doubt or not know how something works, you ask a teenager because they know everything when it comes to, oh, let me show you how that works, right? And yes, I'm now getting old enough where that will be me very soon, I'm sure, But two of the more subtle advancements in technology that I've really come to appreciate, they're very simple, but they're these, instant replay and the restart button. They're awesome. Like, think about it. For the instant replay, when you're watching a a sporting event and, and and something happens, you're like, oh, I wish I could just see that again in slow motion. How do they do that? Well, great. Thanks to instant replay, now you can. Or how about the restart button? When you're working on a project at school or you're maybe playing a game online and you make a mistake or you just wish you could start over, well, click the button. There you go. Problem solved. But innovations like replay and restarts, they're not only found in the 21st century. They're also found embedded in God's word. And so as we continue journeying today through this season of Lent leading up and through Easter, we're going to be taking a look back at the Old Testament book today of Isaiah And for those of you that are unaware, Isaiah was a prophet who spoke to the kingdom of Judah for over 40 years. And in this particular passage that we're going to be reading together, Isaiah is writing during this time when God's people had been taken captive and were exiles in Babylon. And so even in the midst of this really difficult and challenging time in their life, Isaiah's words to them, God's message to them is of God's continued faithfulness to them. But he also points them forward to a hope that awaits them that God is going to deliver and restore them as well. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to read verses 16 through 21, and the words will also appear on the screen. It reads like this, starting in verse 16 of Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, 
the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. All right, if you were with us two weeks ago, or if you remember back to two weeks ago, which I'm sure everyone does, including myself, I had to look back, we spent a little bit of time in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Christians living in Corinth, where Paul is reminding these believers of the value of knowing and remembering history. Remember that? There's value in remembering history. We're reminded that there's an incredible importance in remembering and learning from the past in order to help us understand today and to process tomorrow. Because oftentimes what the past will do is it will teach us lessons that will help us in our present circumstances. And we see Isaiah echo this in verses 16 and 17. He's talking about referring back to the Lord who had made a way through the waters and and drew out the chariots and, and snuffed them out like a wick. Isaiah is reminding God's people, from their, giving them a reminder from their history to set up God's message to them. And this lesson that he's giving them centers around God's character and his actions from a very crucial time in Israel's past. If you were to look all throughout the Old Testament, one of the examples, the most incredible and most powerful and probably most well-used example of God's deliverance and faithfulness to his people has to be when he rescued them from the Egyptians, from being recaptured, and he allowed them to, to cross over the Red Sea to the other side. And we've heard this example given throughout our last month of studying God's word through this season of Lent as well. And just to refresh our memories in Exodus 14 and 15, Pharaoh and his army were chasing down God's people. And the Egyptians had just recently set them free from generations of slavery, but now Pharaoh's got a change of heart and a change of mind, and he wants to bring them back. And in Exodus 14 and 15, we read this astonishing example of God splitting apart the waters of the Red Sea and allowing his people to walk right through on dry ground, but not so for Pharaoh and his armies. God loosens his hold on those walls of water and they come crashing down, swallowing up the entire army of horses and chariots and Pharaoh's men. And it's this incredible example and act of rescue and deliverance that Isaiah is using to set up what God is going to tell them next. Isaiah is using and reminding his listeners of the importance of remembering and trusting in God's faithfulness even in the midst of uncertain and challenging times. It's like, remember back what your ancestors, they were trapped. They had no way of escape. They had this army bearing down on them, and God still came through for them. So Isaiah is able to speak into their current situation as exiles and captives living in a foreign country, and he's saying, you need to remember not only what God has done, but you need to remember that that's the truth of his character. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what he promises to do. That's what he's done throughout all time. So even though in their current situation, it would have been easy for God's people to think and consider like, wow, I bet God has really forgotten about me, or he really couldn't care less about me. Look where we are. Isaiah is quick to point out that God's faithfulness, God's reliability, God's provision, and God's protection was not just something from the past or a good bedtime story, but it was very much present today. God was still acting on their behalf right now. And I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to be reminded of if, if we think of our own lives and our own situation. That as we journey through life with its various challenges and difficulties, we, are, we can also be reminded that the God of the past is still the God of today. That he can make a way where there seems to be roadblocks. That he can be trusted to come through. That we can look at how God has been faithful to us in the past and be reassured that He will do the same thing again somehow in some way in our current circumstance. 
And so Isaiah is having God's people remember and recall the past, remember what God has done for them. But then we get to verse 18 where Isaiah actually delivers God's message and what God says. And we read, this is what the Lord says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Maybe I missed something here. What is going, that's a super ironic statement. It almost seems like Isaiah was left out of the loop of what the message from God was actually going to be. Like someone forgot to tell him. Isaiah's talking, he's like, hey, people of Israel, I know things look really bleak right now. It might seem as though God has forgotten about you, that you're stuck, that there's no hope for your future, but just remember what God did and how he worked on behalf of your ancestors, how he worked to deliver his people. Don't forget about those things. Remember them, hold on tightly to them. And then God speaks and seems to say, yeah, you can forget about about all that. Don't dwell on those past things. What's going on here? Now, it might be easy for us to kind of just skim that over or, or be confused at how ironic and backwards that sounds. It also might give people reason to say like, all right, so Ben, you've got to take back everything you said two weeks ago about the value of, of history because clearly it doesn't matter. Well, no, that's not what God is saying. For God's people who were living in exile in Babylon, their main issue is not so much that they weren't remembering the past. It's that they were stuck with their eyes fixated on the wrong lessons from the past. And what this did is it left them feeling mired in their present circumstances that also didn't look very hopeful or very fulfilling. Because what God's people were doing, they were feeling the effects of their past failures. They were feeling the effects of their past discouragement and of their sin. In fact, all of these things were reasons as to why they were in the current situation they were currently in, stuck as captives in Babylon. Because of all the ways that they had disobeyed God, their past sin and disobedience coming to fruition. And so their minds were not necessarily thinking about the ways that God had delivered them from times like this before. All they were doing is dwelling and thinking about the same failures and frustrations that had surfaced again in their lives, and now they were trapped. It's kind of like their minds and their hearts were stuck on replay. Now, I know I mentioned earlier that I really appreciate replay. It's an incredible technological development. It's really cool to get to see something over and over again in slow motion. And this really came into handy like several months ago when you're watching the Olympics and you, and you can see the skiers or the snowboarders or the figure skaters like jump and do their twirls and spins and you're like, how in the world do they do that? And I would totally break my neck if I tried to do any of that stuff. Replay can give you an appreciation for things that you might not have appreciated or noticed before. But even though replay does have its benefits, it also has its downsides. Because even though replay can help you appreciate things that you might not have noticed or seen in real time, it can also steal your focus from the present and leave you stuck in the past. A perfect example is if you've been watching any of the men's or women's NCAA basketball tournament, you've seen the downside of replay. Because what will happen in the course of a game, each game consists of two 20-minute halves, and the first 18 minutes of each half go pretty smoothly pretty well until you get to the last two minutes, which take upwards of an incredible amount of time, longer than two minutes of real time, and that's because of replay. The rules state that a referee can stop the game under two minutes to look and double-check a play. They can look at like, oh, did we make the right call here? Did, we, did the ball brush off someone's fingertips before it went out of bounds? 
or did someone's foot step on the line or did, did someone let go of the ball in time before the horn sounded to make the shot? Now, some people would say, well, that's a good thing because then you're able to double check, make sure you got it right. We can move on. But in the end, here's what happens. The game ends up being stopped for a good five, six minutes of real time. And if that's happening two or three times in the matter of the last two minutes of the half, then you're talking like 20 to 30 minutes of real time. All right, this is just my rant and it's over, almost, right? No, seriously, that's ridiculous. But here's the downside of the whole thing. When you see things on a loop, when you see something happening over and over and over again, one of two things start to happen. And this happens for any of us, whether you are watching basketball or not. The first thing that happens is you can tend to overanalyze something and actually maybe question what you saw as being true initially. You can be like, well, did the ball really graze their fingertips? Was their toe on the line? Did the horn sound first or maybe the clock malfunction? But the other thing that could happen is you can see things entirely differently altogether. Being stuck on replay can almost play tricks with your mind and your eyes where you're seeing things that actually never happened or took place. And it can be difficult for someone to move on. Your mind is stuck in a loop. It's stuck in replay. Well, if that just would have happened differently or if they would have seen that, then and it means you're stuck in the past, unable to move on. So while replay is both useful and helpful, it can also lead to being a huge waste of time and confuse things even more. And it can make it difficult to move on or to move forward. So we see this lesson in verse 18 become even more clear. Dwelling on past failures, dwelling on past disappointments really won't get you anywhere. It will only lead you to a place of being stuck and discouraged. If your focus is only and solely on what is behind you, then you definitely are not able to see what is in front of you. That's the deepest thing you'll ever hear today, right? But it'd be the same thing as walking backwards through life. Imagine how annoying that would be. Imagine all the things you would trip over or run into. It would hurt. For God's people, their minds and their hearts had been stuck on replay. They were dwelling on their past failures and their disappointments, and it left them with this feeling that they were stuck or trapped where they currently were. Their eyes were completely fixated behind them or below them, and life felt like one giant door that was closed. If you think about your own life from the past several months or the past couple of years, what has life felt like for you? Can you see any similarities here in your own story? Because I think for a lot of us, life has felt like this at times. Life maybe has felt like a season of closed doors. Maybe you felt this in various ways. Perhaps maybe you've been in a season of discouragement where life has not gone according to plan, where things haven't come together or materialized like you thought they were. Maybe disappointment after disappointment just seems to be the norm, one piling on right on top of the other. Maybe you've been stuck in a cycle where sin has gained the upper hand. Maybe you're like, oh, I was making progress, right? I was doing much better at resisting temptation, but that all seems like years ago. And now you feel stuck. Now all you can think about is how much of a mess you are. All of your failures playing over and over in your head, reminding, of you, reminding you of your mistakes and your brokenness. And you're left feeling unworthy and unlovable. 
Maybe this happens to you in little ways every day where you get to the end of the day and your mind replays the day and it's like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have thought that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I'm just so terrible. And you can't get out of your own head. It's just on a loop of all the mistakes you made in a day. And I'll admit, I do that way more often than I'm happy to say. Maybe you do too. No wonder we can feel discouraged. Perhaps this has felt like a season of closed doors and discouragement for you. For many of us, our lives can all too easily and all too quickly become stuck on replay. It can feel like we're walking backwards or our eyes are looking at the ground and the weight and the burden of our past can really leave us to feeling frozen, making it hard to move on, hard to move forward, or even hard to look up. But God's words to us in verse 18 They invite us to not be stuck dwelling on those former things. We're instructed to not become so focused on what has been that we lose sight of what is right in front of us today. We shouldn't dwell on the past so much that it keeps us from seeing what God is intending to show and give to us. Because the reality is, is that your past, your mistakes, your sin, your disappointments, your discouragement, those are a part of your story. They're a part of my story. But... They are never the end of your story. That's not what God desires to leave with you or give to you. Which brings us to verse 19, this incredible promise that just breaks open all of those closed doors and it lifts our eyes to something better. Verses 18 and 19 together, God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. A new thing. How does that sound? In these verses, we see this reminder to remember the past, to remember God's faithfulness, but at the same time, don't dwell on it so much, don't dwell on those past defeats and discouragement that it keeps you from seeing this new thing that God is desiring to reveal to you. So when you think for yourself, what is your reaction when it comes to, to something new? When something, someone comes up to you and says like, hey, I've got this new thing I want to show you. I've got this new thing that I want to try. What's your initial response or reaction to that? You know, for some people, I think they hear the word new as the same thing as change. And some people hear change as like a curse word. That's why Mark Twain famously said, the only person who actually likes change is a wet baby. Maybe that's some of you. You're like, oh, yeah. Now, if you're not someone who loves and welcomes change, then you probably fall into one or two categories. The first are obviously the people who are anti-change. They're hesitant. They're even downright resistant to change. They like things the way that they are. It's the classic, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. And I think for a lot of us, if we were to be honest, there's a lot of things in our life that you and I are probably that way about. There's things in your life you're like, yeah, I don't. I don't think that needs to change. I, don't, I would rather not that change, have that not change. And that's okay for the most part. But what if the way things are isn't actually a good thing? Have you thought about that? And when it comes to the reality of who you are and who I am as a sinful, broken person living in a sinful, broken world, I'm not sure that keeping things the way that they are or not fixing what is broken is actually a good thing. In fact, in those cases, change or something new is probably a a needed thing. But for others, it's not so much that they're against change because it's change. They might recognize the need for change or for something new, but, but for them, it's maybe the fear of the unknown. 
or the uncertainty of something different that leaves them hesitant and unsure. Because at least with the old, yeah, it it might be semi-manageable. It might need some fixing or tweaking. It might be broken, but at least I know what it is. It's predictable. And that could be the case in your life and in mine, too. Because when it comes to change or things that are new in your life, do you always welcome it with open arms? I sure don't all the time. Maybe the idea of something new brings more feelings of fear rather than freedom to you. And in a season full of closed doors, the idea of something new might almost sound something that, that that's just too good to be true. Inventor Alexander Graham Bell says it this way. He said, when one door closes, another one opens, but we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one that is open for us. But we see here today in God's word, in his message to his people, that we see these same words echo, these same patterns and promises come to life that have always been there and always will be, that God is in the business of restoration, of renewing, of restoring, that God can open doors and give new beginnings. All throughout history, that's been a part of God's character, that's a part of who he is. Isaiah points this out when he refers back to the time that God delivered his people from the Egyptian army. God's message from today points his people to another new thing that he's doing, when he will set them free again, this time from the Babylonians. And this text for us gives us this indication of God pointing even further ahead to his ultimate example of restoring and delivering. That's when he sent his son to be born to earthly parents, to live among us, to show God's power and love and grace in ways that had never been seen before, to heal and make lives whole, to restore our relationship with God and to die in our place so that God could do a new thing in your life and in mine. You see, with God, it's always the same old new thing. It's what he does. So if you're feeling weighed down by your past this morning, God promises that he can do a new thing in your life. If you're going through a season of discouragement or disappointment, God invites you to look for the new ways that he is going to encourage you and lift you up. And if you've got some things in your life, like all of us do, that you're like, yeah, those can probably just stay in the past, God says, I can do something about that. And I will. Oftentimes at the start of the new year, you hear people say with so much hope and anticipation of all the ways that they're going to be a better person. You hear the phrase, new year, new you. But the reality is, is that at least for me, after a week or two, or maybe a couple months, if you're lucky, you realize not, not too much has changed. I'm the same old person with the same old issues. I can only make so many changes. I can only make myself so new. And that's the beautiful part of this promise that God's word emphasizes for us. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what God says he can do and will do in you and through you. And so this ends up being the opposite of a replay. It ends up being a restart. And there's a lot of freedom that comes from a restart. Because with a restart, all of the mistakes from the past, all the things that happened yesterday, they have no place in today with a true restart. 
When you're writing a paper or when you're working on a project or you're playing a game and you just get to that point where you're like, oh, I made a mistake or oh, I need to start over. The slate is clean. The past has no effect on the restart. We need the same thing in our lives every day, every single day. Now, some of you might be thinking of those examples and you're like, all right, well, that almost sounds too simple because uh, uh, restarting a game or restarting a project, my life does not work like that. I can't just snap my fingers and boom, there we go. That's not how it works. It's too good to be true. And you would be right. Because this new thing that God does, this new thing that he's doing in your life and in mine, it wasn't simple and it wasn't free. The consequences for your mistake... The consequences for your failures and my failures for all the times and all the ways that we've disobeyed God and hurt others had a cost. It just couldn't be glossed over and forgotten like it was yesterday. So God does what he always does. We saw another example of that this morning. He steps in. He intervenes. And he sent Jesus to take the full weight and the full consequences, the full responsibility for your sin and for mine. The cost was paid by him so that you could receive all of the benefits of a clean and full restart. So as we close together this morning, I, I, just, I love how Isaiah ends this passage. Because not only is God going to do a new thing, he's also going to deliver and restore like he always does. He's going to make a way through a roadblock. And he's going to open a door that looks to be sealed shut. In verses 19 to 21, God says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So essentially like God's saying, look, I'm gonna do something so new, so marvelous, so profound, so amazing, so awesome that has never been seen or done before, something that is unthinkable, that doesn't even really make logical sense. I'm gonna make a highway in the middle of the desert and I'm gonna make streams of water appear in the wilderness. I'm gonna do all those things and you don't have to worry about a single thing. Why? Because I'll take care of all the details. You leave those to me. You don't have to wonder how or how am I gonna do it. no. I've got it. I'll handle the details. You just trust. So what new thing is God doing in your life? What's he trying to show you? What old habits and old patterns is he trying to renew and make new so that you can experience the joy and the freedom of being his child? As we see those things happen in our lives, like our passage says, we respond in praise. We give him praise for the same old new thing that we need him to do in our lives every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for the gift of your word to us, the promises that it holds, the honesty that it brings us and our need for you. And so, Lord, we're thankful that, that you can make things new, that you can make lives new. You've, you make our lives new every day. Lord, we pray for your continued renewing work to be done in our hearts and lives, we would see you, see your goodness and grace to us, so we live in it and rest in it and trust in it because it's for us. Thank you again for the gift of your son. In your name I pray, amen. Hear now this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.